know your answer. Not everyone's going to agree with you, but as somebody said to me before, if you want to be a thought leader, you have to have a thought. And so <laughs> if you uh, if you walk in the room and and you uh, you know and you basically agree with everybody, then what value did you bring? So I, I think you you just whether you're nice or you're not isn't really as relevant as having an opinion. Welcome to Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks. We're back in the ring. It's the cybersecurity podcast that tackles the vendor-customer relationship. I'm George K. on the vendor side. And I'm George A., a Chief Information Security Officer. And today, we're welcoming guest Neil Saltman. Neil is a longtime cybersecurity sales leader, co-author of Cybersecurity Sales, A Buyer's and Seller's Perspective. And he's also a brave soul because he volunteered to step in the ring with us. Neil, Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I think this is a really cool thing you guys are doing, and I'm just glad I get to be a part of it. Cool. We are happy to have you. Okay, so here we go. We're going to go a few rounds on some key topics, then we'll get down to some brass tacks. But before we start, I want to give you a few minutes, just tell us a quick origin story. You know, how did you get your start in sales? Uh, how did you find cyber? Just give us the the quick and dirty, and then we'll get started. Yeah, I mean, I I was born with two parents that were in sales in some capacity. So before I knew what it was, I was already involved. And uh, I was the competitive kid that had to win all those raffle ticket sales and was angry when I finished second. And then uh, my mom used to run, uh, she was in real estate, so everything was about networking. And so she would run this yearly thing for all of her customers. And we'd go out and we'd basically be selling for my mom and not even realize we were doing it. So I, I did all that as a kid. I got to college. I started selling meal plans, which was most people's nightmares. And I was like, you mean I get to meet all of the freshman girls before anybody else? And so uh, we broke records doing that, which was pretty nice. And uh, and it just said it sort of seemed like sales was a natural path. And so out of college, I get into real estate, um, doing commercial real estate, business development for a bank, doing uh, commercial loans. And then when the market tanked, I uh, a buddy of mine said, hey, selling technology, you should really think about this. And I said, well, you know, I don't know a lot about technology. He said, if you know sales, all you've, got to all you've got to do is learn the technology. And so I jumped in within six months of being there. I won inside sales rep of the year, got promoted to being an account manager pretty quick. And uh, and that was sort of how it started. But I, I, will, I will admit that I am uh, <laughs> an over-preparer. So when I got in, I immediately read a book about mm. how networks work. So like my three weeks before I started, I was... Uh, downing a book, understanding the different layers of the network. So I didn't exactly go in blind, but I was very, very well prepared. But that's how I got into the the whole technology sales aspect and the rest is history. Nice. All right. That is a really good intro. And for those of you listening, you know, Neil got the slight nod of approval from <laughs> the, the operator on the line over here for reading his network architecture. But our guest comes from the vendor side. So it's only fair that uh, George A, you get first crack. Thanks a lot, George K. Um, yeah, I mean, Neil, I really have to gotta tell you, man, I resonate with that because uh, a mantra I've always uh, grown up with ever since I was playing like peewee level football was, uh, you know, if you gave me eight hours to chop down a tree, I'd probably spend seven of them sharpening my axe. So I appreciate that that's kind of the mentality that you come from. So let's kick this off. Um, and this is coming straight from your book, by the way, outstanding book. I've already like recommended it to several of my friends in sales that they should read it. They should have read it when they started their careers. So thank you for putting that out there. Uh, but let's ask you, you know, how do you build trust when your target audience's job, 
you know, me, is fundamentally to not trust anyone, especially you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good question. And, and thank you for the comments in the book. It was a lot of fun to write. But I mean, I think the most important thing is to be the authentic you. So I, I had a, uh, a VP tell me a long, long time ago that you should write the way you speak. And you mm-hmm. should speak the way that you would talk to your friends. Don't go in and sound like some recording. Don't regurgitate a bunch of marketing fluff. And so it's, you know, marketing has its job and I'm not saying that it shouldn't. It's, it's valuable because people need to read that. But when you're in front of somebody and you're actually having a sales conversation, the key is that we're all trying to solve problems. We all like to go by that mantra of, oh, I'm in this because I want to help everybody. And yeah, that's true. But the reality is that we're all curious by nature. And so I think the key is asking questions and proving that you really care about what they're trying to solve, but more about caring about them as a person, right? Because the underlying issue a lot of times isn't necessarily technical. Sometimes it's, man, I'm working 18 hours a day. I'd love to get more time with my kids. That's Mm -hmm. not a technology issue. And so understanding what the issues they're trying to solve for and figure out how to help them get there, whether it's, I want to be the best technologist that ever lived, or I just want a few more hours so that I can go actually catch my kids hockey game tonight or whatever it is. I think that's, that's how you build the trust is being authentic, being you talking the way that you speak to others and really asking questions to understand. I think that's, that's really the key to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, all right. So by that same token, um, a question on how to stand out, you know, what is kind of your go-to mojo for a cold approach? Um, you know, what's going to make the good impression in your experience with the CISO that you may be reaching out to for the first time versus your experience with maybe what you've done or what you've seen and witnessed that just like, you know, turns it off, gates go up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think preparation. I mean, one thing that, that I do, I read a lot. Anybody that knows me knows I read a ton. I read a ton of books, but I think reading recent news articles, whether it be about the company you're talking to or the individual mm-hmm. you're talking to, or even something relevant is, is really valuable. I, I, I definitely want to caveat that you should be careful what it is you share. I remember going into a meeting a long time ago and making a joke about how I had wished I talked a week before because their stock shot through the roof and being where he was a, an officer of the company, he didn't appreciate the joke as much. And he was like, well, I couldn't have shared that with you because that would have gotten me a lot of trouble. And I was like, no, 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 I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So what kind of flowers do you grow? You know, it was like immediately I was backtracking. And so I think, you know, it's it's if you can read or have something that's valuable, everybody wants to learn something new. And if you can share something that either wasn't known or at least is top of mind for when you walk in the door, I think that's going to help you be relevant right out of the gate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wait, one interjection here. We got a CISO on the line. George A., how's this resonating with you? Well, I mean, that's really what it comes down to, right? Like I my inbox gets flooded by garbage, absolute garbage every day. And now, you know, I've gone to a few conferences post COVID. So they have my phone number, which is absolutely terrifying to me. I need to just, I need to get a burner line for this stuff. Um, but you know, to stand out, it's, it's really one you talked about earlier, right. Uh, treating it like a human thing. I mean, our whole last episode was talking about LinkedIn was the cocktail party. Everyone hates being stuck at, well, it's, it's kind of the thing, man. It's like, if it's, if it's a human being who's approaching me, first of all, with a, with a, if it's going to be an email with something that's clearly written by you, it's not a script that you've just copied and pasted because you sent it to a hundred other people, you know, I'm going to automatically mm-hmm. give that a little bit more attention and really don't, you know, if you're coming at me from the angle that you, you know, you're trying to figure out what the problem that you could help me solve is versus, Hey, this is my solution. It can solve your problem. Well, it's just like, well, how do you know that's my problem? 
Why do you, you know, assume he mm-hmm. makes an ass out of you and me? So what are you talking about, dude? Like, these are the types of things. Like, it, it's amazing because, you know, you know you're, you're talking about things that are very, like, common sense, grade three, playground logical. But somewhere along the line, you know, we got into this career and people just kind of forgot that. So I really appreciate that, that, you know, that individual personified approach where you're just trying to actually connect to the person that you want to sell to. Yeah, it's actually funny is uh, when I when I did write the book, I interviewed a ton of CISOs. And one story that stands out, which aligns exactly what you're saying, is he said to me, don't throw axes over the fence and hope that they stick. Because even if one lands, <laughs> I'm going to know that you were just trying to see what was going to stick. And it, it, it's funny because that's exactly it is. If you go in and say, here's the 15 things my product does, and you hope one of them resonates, they're not getting to number seven. They read number one and they thought, oh my God, you just sent this to 50 people. And so it, it is kind of funny. There is that approach. And, and I get it. You know, I, I was a VP of my last company. And as soon as we got funding, I mean, LinkedIn, email, phone calls of like, have you thought about this service? And the funny thing is if they would ask one question, I would have been like, look, our CEO makes every decision. So I just get a fancy title. Like, but nobody wanted to know that. Everybody wanted to know if I could spend money with them, not knowing if I had those problems. And that's that's the approach most people take. So it's throwing the axes of like, let me see how many things I can throw and hope that one of them sticks and hope that this resonates is an awful approach. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we got a lot of we got a lot of questions ahead, but I do want to just jump in and ask. So I think the obvious rebuttal that's going to come from the sales side is like, yeah, man, but how do you scale that? Right. So (laughs) I got you to laugh. Um, You know, yeah, I guess there's always a question of scale, right? Like, how are you going to personalize if you've got like this giant territory and you got this quota overhead? Um, I don't know if you could talk about kind of your approach, because, you know, you've carried a bag, you've you're at a new gig, you've got a new territory, you know, you've built up a network and experience, but like, as you were taking that approach, you know, as you were learning the trade, you know, before all the fancy tools that allowed us to automate a whole bunch of nonsense, how, how did you take that approach? How did you, what was the methodology there that you worked to like, you know, achieve? So, that? No, that's a good question. So that's two pieces, right? So scaling and then approach, right? So the approach I say is be everywhere you can be, whether it's virtual or, or, online. If people know who you are, they're going to respond. If they don't, they won't. I mean, I I did have a CISO tell me that I could win the lottery. And if somebody I didn't know sent me the note to tell me, I would never know I won the lottery. So there is that aspect to it of (laughs) be at the right places and let people know that that you're there and let them get to know you. The scaling aspect, because there is still a cold aspect, you can't possibly meet a hundred, a thousand, a million accounts, whatever you've got. So then you start to take more of a use case type of approach of, okay, well, here's what we've done for financials that I think could resonate and you, you take it, we'll call it bite-sized pieces, right? How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So you start to take a specific thing and say, hey, based on the fact that you're a large financial, here's a large financial that was doing this. I think it's relevant. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but we've worked with this customer that I think has similar challenges. Or you can even say like, hey, we've got a referenceable account we can, you can confirm this with. So that's one way. If you're too small mm-hmm. and you don't have those referenceable accounts, then you can simply say, here's a problem we know that this industry is facing. And we think we have a real solution for it. And you do obviously face the fact that they may not have that problem, but at least you're specific. At least you're saying, hey, here's something we solve for. Let them decide if they have that challenge, but don't give them 15 things to choose from, right? It's the the analogy I like to use is it's much easier to ask somebody if they have a boat that they need a truck to haul than it is to say, who needs a car, right? Everybody needs a car, but am I going to drive a motorcycle or a truck Mm -hmm. or am I going to go out and get a van? So if you can get specific and say anybody who's got a boat that needs to haul it, 
I've got a truck that's big enough to haul that boat. You're going to get a lot more reaction than you are when you start to get generic. Yeah. From the vendor side, I really appreciate that specificity of use case rather than as George A said, like, what's your problem? I can solve it. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, cool. All right. Uh, George A, enough of my interjection. Back to you. No worries. I appreciate that. I'm used to salespeople always jumping in and interrupt. So it's cool, man. That's, that's just ah. what you guys do. <laughs> so I got to ask, so, you know, um, and you, you talked about this a little bit in the book too, but but how do you uh, navigate pitching to different types of CISOs? Because you know not all CISOs are the same, um, especially from a cold approach, right? Because there are some there are some folks who are a lot more governance governance oriented. There are a lot of CISOs who come from a pure SecOps background, and, and like their whole thing is they live and die on their sock. And then there are some guys who mm-hmm. are like you know kind of reformed black hatters who now get into like sec DevOps, and now they're somehow running an entire division. So how do you, from cold approach, kind of take on each of those three sort of CISO profiles? It's actually changed probably over the last year more than it has in the past. I used to break it down a lot more specifically, and I would look at it and say, are you governance, are you technical, or what have you? Now I'm assuming most CISOs aren't as technical, unless it's a smaller team. Typically, their their job is to manage. So I usually try to keep it high level. And my my theory is that as the sales guy, I need to know why my sales engineer, which I'm lucky enough to have, needs to know how. And so I don't try to break down too technically how it's going to work. I just simply say, here's the problems we solve. When I'm in a discussion, I'll follow the lead of the sales leader, and I'll I mean sales leader of the security leader, and I'll ask them a couple questions. And if they start getting technical, then I'll understand very quickly that they really want to understand the bits and bytes. And then I'll sort of know my role and, you know, maybe count to three and let the sales engineer talk once <laughs> and uh, and let him uh, go through and, and sort of get technical with him and say, hey, here's how this works. Does that make sense? And I'll ask a few questions and tee it up. But I think when it comes to cold outreach, I'm usually assuming that their job is both to sell up and sell down. And it's not necessarily going to be something that they're going to dive in and get their hands dirty with. Um, that's changed. It, it, historically, I would have said if they had a governance background, then they're more interested in following a framework and you want to align with that. But I'm finding, you know, the roundtables I run, they're all, most security leaders are talking to each other. And the biggest problem tends to be, how do I relay this message to the board? How do I relay this message to this leader? How to relay the message? So it's becoming a lot more standardized for the larger companies. And it, I guess it depends on the size of the company. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, I mean, the follow on to that realistically then is as a sales professional, do you have to have your finger on the pulse of how the actual CISO profession is evolving over time? Because, you know, it sounds like it was a different thing five years ago than what it is today. Yeah, and I think you do. I mean, I think what's interesting is that, you know, even the CISO role isn't always a CISO. Sometimes the CISO is a governance person that doesn't actually buy the technology and IT operations is the one that's that's running it and the CISO is more setting policy. So I think you do need to understand it because it depends on the organization and it depends on on the role and what they're responsible for. And if you assume that they're all the same, then, you know, it's you're going to be in a world of hurt because it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's just it's it's not. I mean, you walk in the door and, you know, I have a friend who who's a CISO and his entire job is governance. And he's got a peer that picks all the tools that has a title you'd never look for. And so, you know, it just, it depends. I mean, it, it really does. And then again comes the size of the organization. So, you know, if they've got a, a team like an Equifax or somebody that's got a couple hundred people, then the CISO is pretty far removed and he's given budget to all of his understudies that are, mm-hmm. you know, going to go out and buy different things based on the line. Whereas a company with 50 employees or a thousand employees or whatever it is, that's got a small security team is going to be a lot more hands-on. Yeah, that's bang yeah. on. I'd say that. 
All right, validated. Um, all right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. And we're back. Awesome. All right. So let's keep this going. Um, a really cool train, like theme that you've kind of touched on a little bit and I like, want to expand on a bit. There's, you know, different strokes for different folks. There's different CISOs for different organizations uh, and there's different organizations in general. So big security versus skeleton crews. How do you successfully pitch to CISOs of different budgetary sizes? Yeah. Um, Big companies is, I'll say more in my background. I mean, I've definitely sold the small and midsize, but the large companies navigating, they they tend to be more of, uh, I'm going to empower my people. And so if you try to sell to a CISO of a large company, you're likely going to get pushed down or at least get the, I need mm-hmm. buy-in. And, and so I think you really have to have some sort of strategy of how am I going to help the company and realize the individual needs and know that the CISO, though he'll probably sign the check, so to speak is not going to be the only decision maker in the group. Whereas a small company, oftentimes that's all it takes, right? Is look, I've got two people, I've got five people, I've got 10 people. I don't want them spending their time trying to go validate your technology. Let me figure out what we need and and let's make this happen. And maybe those people test it, but they're a lot more hands-on. And so when you've got a small company, it's a lot easier to navigate because they're going to be hands-on. They're going to know the technology's in place. They're going to know what they need to do. Where there are sometimes redundancies, right? In large enterprises, you know, they, I like to say they buy two of everything. So it's, uh, you know, they may have a tool, but they still have a need or they may not be completely uh, satisfied and they want to solve something else. But I find large, large enterprises easier because they typically will buy more things, whereas small ones are much quicker and you can get to know quicker. So there's a lot of value there, too. But it, I guess it depends on your preference. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So you have mentioned you read a lot that you went from real estate to cyber and you took it upon yourself to read how networks work. Um, so here's the obvious question about sort of knowing your product. How well should new salespeople know their product before they you know, take their show on the road? Is, is it just memorizing the playbook and the pitch? You know, what's your take on, you know, the degree to which they need to get, they don't need to get technical, but they kind of need to be able to articulate it in a rarefied space. So here's where I'm going to contradict myself and I'm going to say, <laughs> get out there and do it. It's uh, I think you should absolutely read and I think you should learn. And I think you got to be a phenomenal note taker. So everything you hear, you mm-hmm. need to go back and actually, you know, check it out. But I think you need to get out there because the thing about sales is your runway is not that long. I mean, no one's going to give you the time to learn before you can go sell. And so thinking about your job, there's not a, uh, there's very few companies that are going to say, spend the next three months figuring out what we do and then go out there. And go right. sell this thing. And so I think luckily in technology sales, you get a sales engineer. So the reality mm-hmm. is that you just need to understand pain questions and, you know, or whatever you want to call them, whatever cheesy word you want to use, you know, let's use buzzword bingo, bingo and say, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, you just got to understand the pitch. It's let, let me tell you what we do. And let me ask you if that's relevant and ask some questions. And that's, I, I'm clearly stating that's a starting point and that's not where you want to be. For sure. But sure. I think you you have to at least understand what the product does and why it does what it does, and then get out there as quickly as possible and learn on the fly. But take phenomenal notes because when the customers start asking questions, you want to understand what it is they care about. And 
you don't want to just assume that your sales engineer is going to solve everything for you because they may miss some of it. And plus, what happens if they're not there the next time? Or, you know, as we like to call it, what if you're in an elevator with a CISO at Black Hat and they're asking yeah, what you do and your answer is, hey, can you wait five minutes and let me get my sales engineer? You're probably in trouble. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, you, you want to make sure you understand it, but I wouldn't say waste any time trying to figure it out before you get out there. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, George, a, it's sharpening the ax, but you yeah, it's going to sharpen itself. You know, what's funny though, is I actually, like, I, I hear what you're saying, man, but I, I still kind of fundamentally disagree with that. Like, like I, cause you know, you, you deal with pitches every day and, Again, I, I don't want to go down in depth to force a salesperson to grab their SE to like, you know, go into the actual tech specs of the thing. But, you know, I've said this to George before, if I'm hearing a pitch from you, whether it's five minutes, whether it's 30 minutes, and then I start asking you just some basic level, like, hey, can you turn it on? Can you show me just a basic function? And they can't do that. Unfortunately, like, I lose my fundamental trust with you as a salesperson because I'm going to think that everything you just told me for the last half hour is bullshit. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know the product. So, I mean, how do you at least ensure that basic level of study? Is it just the kind of thing that, you know, like on week one, week two of the job, you got to do some weekend homework, basically? So I, I think, and, and you make a good point, but I think the key is, again, it goes back to being authentic, right? Up front, you say, look, I've been here for a couple of weeks, so I brought my sales engineer with, with me on purpose. You know, like I, this is the deal is Bingo. I'm not fully educated on this yet, but I've got somebody here that can talk through it. I'm learning as he asks you the questions and I may have a couple questions in between, but he's your guy. And so I think the key is just making sure that you're, you don't fake it. Like you just, you have to be honest of I'm the new guy and you can play the new guy card and, and I just don't know. And that's why I brought a couple of Georges with me that can answer the questions that I can't, right? Yeah, that's bang on, man. Good call. Yeah, dude. Dude, George, I was just telling some people this today. I was like, why don't you just be honest about the dance? Just be like, hey, look, man, my job's just to get the meeting. I'd love to answer your questions. I'm still learning. Like, just like, wh what do you have to lose by just putting your hands up and being like, I I don't know if it's agent based or API based because I just got here. But um, yeah. <laughs> my job is to set the meeting. Or is this is this going to no, solve that's, a problem? Yeah, on. If I heard that in a pitch, like I'd be like, all right, man, continue, carry on. That's actually a perfect answer. Well, cool. it's funny. So you mentioned the 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 lying thing, like as opposed to saying you know the truth. My dad always said that there's one truth. If you if you lie, you have to tell a bunch of lies to cover it up. So there's no point in going in and saying. I know the answer. Let me answer this. Otherwise I'm going to end up saying, Oh no, what I meant to say was, wait, no, no, no. Here, let me, let me retract that. And so you just tell the truth. I mean, just look, I'm new. That's the deal. I've got somebody here that can answer it for you. Yeah. I don't know if it's like the ego wrapped up in the, I don't know, but it's, I've, I've heard it a thousand times. I've heard the, I've heard the horror show that is the technical rabbit hole. And I'm like, please stop, please stop. Please stop. <laughs> Someone please explain to me how the blockchain works. Yeah, it's not going to get easier. It's not going to get easier. Stop trying to read the Wikipedia article. Um, all right, cool. Well, I want to uh, change tack here for a second. So we did put something out on, on LinkedIn, and we actually got a few questions from the audience, which I love. Thank you, people. Um, so Neil, from another salesperson, uh, can you name a mistake you made in your career that taught you something valuable? So we've talked sort of about your your wins but what's something that you learned early just maybe face planted and you're like okay i got it i have never made a mistake let me retract that i'm just kidding <laughs> so it's uh yeah i would say that uh the mistake that the biggest mistake i've made because i've obviously made plenty like everybody else 
Um, I got laid off my company. I was having a ton of success and they decided to cut the entire sales force and go 100% channel, which was crazy. And so the day that I got laid off, I got a phone call from somebody that said, hey, I want to hire you. And I said, you can't afford me. And he said, let me make that decision. And we talked about it and we had a great conversation. And he said, give me a year. And I knew he couldn't afford what we were trying to do. And it just didn't make sense. He wanted me to come in and build a sales team. He was a small organization. He was having some success. But I, you know, I was pretty, I don't want to say tenured at that point. I mean, I had some experience, but he wanted like the, you know, the penny on the dollar type of like you came from a different industry type. And I was uh, a guy mm-hmm. that had been doing it for a while that wanted what I was actually worth on the market. And he said, let me pay you for it. And I said, okay. So I went to work for him. And six months later, he laid me off because he couldn't afford it. <laughs> and so I think the, the, the key is that it's uh, trust your gut. Um, don't mm-hmm. believe it when it's too good to be true. I mean, I took this opportunity thinking, hey, I'm going to get to be a sales leader relatively early. I'm going to build something amazing. It's going to be awesome. This guy told me that this is all true. And I knew from everything he shared with me that he didn't know what he was doing. I you know, hadn't knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't know what I was doing. And mm-hmm. so it was going to take some time to build. And you know, after six months, he said, this is going to take too long, which is kind of the thought I had up front, but he convinced me I was wrong. I would say, go with your gut. Don't assume that everybody knows more than you do just because they say they do. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, all right, cool. Another question from the audience. Uh, and we touched on this a little bit, but you know, if, let's say you're uh, mentoring a young gun, any advice on how to make yourself stand out from the thousands of other sellers out there? I mean, the, the first one is showing up. I think, you know, being at the events is, is the big thing. I think, uh, mm-hmm. you know, cold calls are great. Emails are great. And I, I say that tongue in cheek. I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're necessary, but, um, if, if they don't know who it's coming from, it's going to be really tough to get a hold of anybody. So if you want to stand out, be at the events, I mean, whether it be, you know, the, the CISO events, whether it be networking events with your peers, whether it be a local STEM event, I mean, you're going to meet people and the more events you can be at, the more people you meet the more success you're going to have. So my, my advice to you is get out there, get to know people. And the second piece I'll say, you know, going with the theme of everything else is read is that, you know, read what's relevant, see what people are posting that you want to sell to see what they care about, see what people are posting that you think are doing good at their job and see, see what they care about and just make sure you stay educated. Yeah. I mean, one of the most attractive parts of cyber for me is that it's like constantly changing and it, it rewards those who, show curiosity you know and kind of lean into that Um, oh yeah but yeah that's good advice all right we're gonna take another break and then it's down to brass tacks back and as promised we are not here to admire the problem we're also to get down to solutions so it is brass tax time turn it over to you george a thanks george k so neil i gotta be honest with you man like i'm a, I'm a former army vet i know that feeling that nervous feeling you're on that bus for basic training you're about to start this new misadventure in your life you're gonna get beasted you're gonna get smashed and you might have a good time sales is probably kind of the same thing but a little less violent so i, I gotta know 
where do you start when you're new to the sales game? It's day one in a new company and a new career. What do you do, sir? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And I won't say learn to shoot because it's not the military. So (laughs) I would say the first thing you want to do is find out who's having success. And everybody knows who those are inside any company. So you want to find out who's having success and you want to sit down with them. And again, take the approach of I'm the new guy. Well, you know, what do you want to teach me? And there's people that won't help, right? There's people that I, I found that there's a lot of lone wolves in this industry that'll mm-hmm. won't answer questions. And I'd say, move on to the next person. Um, you know, find out the people that are willing to help sit down with them, ask them what they're doing. And because each company's specific, I, I actually read a book on technology sales from somebody else that, that had written it. And I found it to be very relevant in certain areas and very different in others because He'd stuck with one company pretty much his entire career, and the message was trust your management, which is almost the exact opposite experience I've had in different companies. <laughs> and so it's uh, sometimes they're great, sometimes they're not. But if you go with that approach, you're you're kind of rolling the dice. And so I think the first thing is find out who's been successful. The second thing, as I pointed out, is take notes. So you're going to go through trainings, you're going to go through conversations, take notes, and when somebody says something you've never heard, take notes, Google it, Wikipedia, YouTube. Watch everything you can. Ask people you can. What does this mean? What does this mean to you? And because that's how you're going to get smarter. So I, it's ask the people, do the research. As, as just a quick interjection there, when you take notes on a methodology standpoint, are you, you're taking like shorthand and you're like circling it. And then it's like after the call, you kind of brain dump everything you have. And then you look up like how, how sort of real time are you trying to do that while you're having the conversation? Yeah, I've got the handwriting of a doctor without the degree. So my, uh, <laughs> My my shorthand is, is, you know, it's kind of exactly that as I write notes of like, I, you know, I was on a, you know, company I'm with now I'm pretty new at. And so some things got brought up that weren't in my, my vocabulary and I didn't know what they meant. So I immediately wrote down the word. So I was like, all right, what does this word mean? Right. What is this acronym? And a lot of the acronyms, you know, it's are just internal buzzwords that you've never uh-huh. heard and you don't know. So it's, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, did you check the VCR? What's a VCR? I wasn't born in 1980. <laughs> You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, so you start to figure out what does this mean? And, and, and I was born in 1980, by the way. So that's why I make that joke. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, so, so I, I think that's, that's what I mean by the shorthand notes is just take the note. And then so you can go back later and say, what does this mean? Is it, is it our word? Is it an industry word? Is it something I need to know? Cool. Very cool. Yeah. So that, that leads me kind of the, to the second question. It's kind of like a day two, week two question. So you're in the field, you're the salesperson, you know, how do you, but obviously, like we want to be talking about authenticity. We've talked about it now. This is our second episode in a row, and it's still a, a kind of theme. It's going to be a theme probably for this whole series. Um, how do you balance, you know, as an authentic salesperson, you have to play a little bit of a character. You got to change things up depending on the audience in front of you. Where's the balance between being a pushover per se or, or being, you know, like a quote unquote nice person? And by the way, I hate using the word nice, but in context, it's the thing that makes sense. Versus, you know, being that asshole salesperson that walks in the room and says, hey, I know the answer to your problem. I don't care about what you have to say. Just buy this thing. This price is the best in the market. My solution's better. No one's going to top me. There's like two different types of energies to sales. I've experienced both of them. And then there's always that happy medium in the middle, though, that kind of drifts one way or another, depending on the interaction. How do you approach that? I mean, I'd say with confidence, that's the best answer I can give you is that know your answer. Not everyone's going to agree with you, but as somebody said to me before, if you want to be a thought leader, you have to have a thought. And so if you, uh, if you walk in the room and, and you, uh, you know, and you basically agree with everybody, then what value did you bring? So I, I think you've, you just, whether you're nice or you're not, isn't really as relevant as having an opinion. 
I'll drink to that, man. Yo, he, he was like, listening to the last episode, I literally said, are you a person who thinks thoughts? Which I thought was, you know, rather glib. But apparently that's like career advice. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Be a thought leader and think. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I want to, I close out with something, uh, just a little different. Is there one piece of advice you wish you could go back and give uh, your younger self? You know, we've talked hypothetically about the newcomer, but just given your own journey, what you've learned, is there like, man, I wish Neil from 15 years ago had done this one thing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I've been asked that question a lot of times and I'm, I'm definitely a person that's pretty happy where I'm at in life. Uh, But I think if I could change one thing, so to speak about my career, I would have started with the big companies because they offer a lot more training. So I think you start with mm. the large companies, they they put you through the ringer and it is that like, we're not even going to let you see a customer for a month because you've got to check off these eight certifications. And so I think the large companies are a good place to start because you learn all the rules and you learn all the, you know, we use this methodology and we're going to put you through this sales training. We use this technology and we're going to put you through this technology training and we're going to sit you down with the sales engineers and make sure you can actually talk to a technical person. And I, I've worked at those companies, but they weren't the first ones I worked at. And I think when you get that up front, I think the rest of it will fall in line a little bit easier when you get the training up front as opposed to, you know, sort of pulling it together piece by piece as you go through. So I would have started with the large companies and then decided what I wanted later. I've spent a lot of the last few years with startups. And right now I'm at what I consider to be a mid-sized company, which I think is a good, good, uh, happy medium. But I think if if I started a little bit differently, I would have known where I wanted to go as opposed to deciding every couple of years if it's really what I want. You know, that's, that's actually mm-hmm. really spot on even on the operator side because you know I started out in a big global MSP and then uh, transitioned to a mid-sized company. And now I'm at another mid-sized company that's in a complete commercial market. Like Whereas before I had a lot of public sector clients in Canada, so you're kind of stuck dealing a little bit with the public sector rules of order. Um, but I think in that big organization, you get to experience the joys of being an absolute nobody, being a bottom of the yeah. barrel, you know, packet pusher, just pushing out reports, just doing the terrible shifts. Um, and I have to say, though, in terms of value in the long run for where I'm at in my career now, I wish I could have enjoyed those years even more, you know, when I was living through them. And it, and it, it sucks. Like, it sucks even as a salesperson. You're going through all this training. You're like, why do I have to do this? Just let me go make some money. It's the same thing, like yep. you know, as as a as a as a cyber operator. It's like, hey, why am I doing this? Like, I want to go chase after the state actors. I want to go have the big fish clients. Like, what's going on yeah. with this? I'm tired of this credit union that like sees nothing, and I have to put out these reports every month. <laughs> but I think I think yep. it's important to kind of, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like putting in your time. Right. A lot of folks now they get in the game, whether it's sales side or operator side, and you know, they're looking at the folks who are at the top echelon. They think, well, I should have been there yesterday. Well, it's like, what did you do to earn it? Right. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It doesn't uh build any resilience, right? So you're gonna get knocked on your ass, guaranteed. Yep. And if if you've been at the bottom, then you know what that feels like, you know. But uh but if you get knocked off and you land and that's the first time you're there, that might be hard to to contend with cool well neil saltman thank you for the time this has been great uh really appreciate it i enjoyed it thanks for having me guys you're awesome neil man anytime you come back brother i'd love to see you again 
Well, let us know what you think about this episode. If you have any questions for Neil, dump them in the comments. We'll continue to harass him on LinkedIn. Um, but until then, stay tuned for more. Subscribe today. Bare knuckles and brass tacks. Take care, guys. Until next time. <laughs>